What conditions are stipulations? Magic tricks or manipulations interjecting conversation. Here we are in the great state of New York, both of us. For the first time, we are back. The boys are back in town. We are the boys. boys. Mm -hmm. It's us. So I have a thing that is apropos of nothing, and it was just a way that I felt validated today. So I was at my new job in a courthouse office. Nobody's there. Um, so I was listening to Fresh Air on NPR, mm. and it was this guy who wrote a book about the voice, not the show, but the mechanisms and right. history of, of why we speak the way we do. Yeah, all that good stuff. So he's talking about these vocal cord polyps that can occur if you overstrain your voice, like you yell a lot. Oh, no. And I know. <laughs> no, like more in singing, like you hear it okay. with. So the example was Julie Andrews. And so at this point, we're going to pause, rewind. When I was a little kid, like 10, I went to this summer camp at the art, like a day camp at the art museum in Phoenix. And we put on the play cats. <laughs> so... <laughs> Wow. First of all, how am I just now hearing about this? Actually, I don't know because... I feel like we've discussed cats so many times and you never brought this up. Big part of our friendship. I know. And I played um, uh, Mistopheles, the little fancy magic cat. Magical Mr. Mistopheles? Yeah, oh my me. god, that's so cute. <laughs> wow, obviously, obviously, um, need, um, maybe that's a future Twitch stream we can do, just you performing a one-woman oh cat god. show with your cat, with <laughs> Sleepy Jean. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be fun to watch, because God save us all if I did it. Um, anyway, so like, we're all warming up for this performance, um, we're warming our voices up, and the teacher said, you know, it's really important. And, you know, teacher, it's like a camp counselor who probably sang in high school. I don't know. Said that it's really She's like going through something. It's her, it's, you know, she's she's refinding herself. Like this is the way, a way she's giving back and getting out of the city. Right. And she feels like important because she's wielding this power over 10 year olds. So she said, it's really important to warm up our voices first. And I had just heard about Julie Andrews having surgery on her vocal cords, which ended up being about a polyp. Um, And so I turned to a little 10-year-old friend of mine at the camp, and I was like, you know, that's what happened to Julie Andrews. She was using her voice wrong, so now she maybe can't sing anymore. And then, did you ever go through this? Uh, Maybe not so much because you weren't in classroom settings, but where you tell somebody something, it mostly happens with kids. And then they like take credit for it yes they like volunteered as their information yeah is that what happened so this little fucker raises her hand and is like yeah so that's what happened to julie andrews and the counselor is like no it isn't and that girl was who (laughs) so i felt like a weird conflicted way for and it's one of those things that obviously i've remembered it for this long because it was a a combination of, oh my God, I was wrong. And well, at least that girl looked like a dummy because she was being a bitch and stealing my information. Yeah, now, yeah, like, yeah 10-year-old, go kick rocks. But now I feel that totally vindicated because when I listen to this radio story, I realize that that is something that can cause vocal polyps, like the one that Julie Andrews had. So this dumbass counselor was wrong in saying that I was wrong. 
I mean, so, you, that's actually kind of turned out perfectly for you because you avoid being criticized by the, yes. the counselor at the time, but you also turn out to be right ultimately. So I really need to, you can to share that. Tell with us now. Uh, well, let the record show that 10 year old Mackenzie right. was correct about polyps. And uh, the counselor was incorrect. If you're listening to this podcast, um, you were wrong, and you should feel bad. Um, <laughs> well, this podcast episode is about to switch gears tremendously. This is extremely <laughs> persuasive. I'm Brooke Rogers. I'm Mackenzie Brennan, and I believe that counselor should be put to death, even though I'm anti-death penalty. <laughs> you, re- you are a Scorpio. God damn it. You really know how to hold a grudge. But do you remember, like, the emotional traumas of embarrassment? Uh, oh, yeah. I remember a lot of emotional traumas. Those are fine. Yeah. Those have been perfectly like, preserved in my memory. Mackenzie, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, honey, you got to oh. go easier on yourself, girl. <laughs> I'm not well. All I'm right. Um, but, yeah, uh, welcome to the show. We're, we are talking about, in the last couple of months, the Trump administration, the former Trump administration as it were, no longer in the White House. Yeah, I wrote former President Donald Trump out for the first time the other day, and I was like, wild. That's right. It's so great. I used to, like, prepare for an eye roll and just full body loathing whenever I heard president, and it took a couple times hearing it to be like, oh, my God, we're not talking about Trump. I don't have to prepare myself for, like, a Trump Uh reaction. And it feels really good. It's it's a it's such a weird time because I remember um, in 2016. This is wow, we are getting to talk about it. Mm-hmm. 2017 oh. when it first you know it first started turning <laughs> over. Um, it yeah. was such a head trip, and now it's kind of the same thing where it's just like it's it, I have to exactly. like get my brain in a different gear. I think for me it hit on inauguration day when the White House mm. website switched over, but then and also you were there. I mean I. I went down to DC and we, there, I mean, nothing happened. Inauguration day was extremely, sure went extremely smoothly. As we all saw, they had thousands of members of the national guard, uh, patrolling. They had, uh, tanks in the streets and huge fences up. I mean, it was locked down tighter than TI's daughter, as I say, <laughs> um, in there, up in there. And, uh, honestly, it kind of felt like a military state, which was not not exactly calming. It feels it feels very police statey, and it's not a good feeling. Right, and I like, don't like that the transition of power had to be overseen by this many members of the military. Uh, like it beats insurrectionists, but it's it, it looked like Tiananmen Square. That is like not yeah, that's not a pre- peaceful transition of power at all. Yeah. And I I don't yeah. like the precedent that sets, and I don't like. I mean, the, apparently they're actually keeping up the fence, the uh, the wall they put around the capital around Capitol Hill, and I just feel like that we really crossed over something in our country. That I think there will be kind of a pre-Capitol Hill attack, post-Capitol Hill attack mentality yeah. going forward. Um, but yeah, it's it's really wild to we have a new press secretary, we have a new uh, a, a, actually talks a, to people. Yeah. To the press. She does her job. Like, it's such a low bar. It's like, wow, she responds to the press? That's her job. Like, that, and, but is like, co- and is coherent. Like, she knows what she's saying. She actually gives good mm-hmm. information, which is yeah. doubly, wow. Yeah, wow. but honestly, yeah. people doing their job at even the um, most basic levels of functionality mm-hmm. at this point is, that's where the bar has been lowered, too. So... Um, yeah, because, I mean, on the, on the flip side, you look at Congress and... 
I think the one way to come back from the pre and post kind of mindset that this is just how we live now with a lot of police presence and a lot of fencing and, you know, would be if everybody universally acknowledged continually going forward that this was bad and you're already seeing uh, Republican members of Congress kind of dig their heels in about impeachment. And I'm not entirely sure what they have to lose at this point. Like, why they're doing this? They're afraid of losing their local elections. They're afraid of losing their seats. I think that's basically it. Um, Also, like, you know, uh, Republicans like Ted Cruz and Matt Gaetz have established Mm -hmm. their entire brand around um, being Trump Trump. defenders to the bitter end. And I think that, like, weird, they have a lot to lose if they turn on him because that's that's what they're selling. That's all they have to offer. Um, And then, you know. That's actually true, Yeah. Not a lot independently yeah. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah, what are they really, what does Matt Gates offer his constituents? Beyond Truly. this, like, bully mentality. Yeah, true. Beyond yeah, being a I showman. Um, but I think mm-hmm. that it's a very strange, just, it's kind of a mind, it, yeah. it, it messes with your mind a little bit. Just like, just to have this, like, to have this have encompassed, I was, I was 20 when the Trump administration, in 2016 when the Trump administration came to power. So. Yeah. It's it's been my entire adult life, my most of my yeah. political aware politically aware life, and um, so it's just a very it's a very strange. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah, that's. I remember like for the first year, kind of like you're talking about the inverse transition, and we will get to our topic. This might be a two parter because we're actually going to have our friend Kat Timfon for the second part of this conversation about the death penalty. But this was a momentous thing that we um, didn't get a chance to hit because Brooke was actually in D.C. Yeah, and I was I got my COVID vaccine, which put me out of commission for like a day or two. And then I was starting my new job. And then, um, yeah, how, how's it being chipped up? Um, you know, I find myself a lot more mellow, a lot more pro government, which is funny because it's actually true because Biden is now in power and we have control of the, the house and Senate. So <laughs> I am a little bit more docile. The, uh, the black helicopters that are just following you around. That's totally fine. You're not, you, you know, like when you hear like little voices <laughs> in your head now. Well, I always did. <laughs> it's nice that now they're friendly. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, you yeah. get your vax. I, yeah, so I got my vax, and honestly, it was totally fine. The only thing I would recommend to people is um, move your arm around like like you're doing a rotating chicken dance sort of thing to kind of wiggle it through the muscle because that is the one thing that did get a little sore. And then I was oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah um, shots. But that actually be. helps to distribute the stuff and make it less painful. Um, but what I was going to say is that in like 2016, 2017, honestly, probably into 2018, I and I'm not really big on like symbolism and and the significance of paying lip service to whatever, but I I could not bring myself to say President Trump. Um, I re- like, I just couldn't do it. So I would say Trump, I would come up with any other euphemism, but I, I wouldn't put president in front of it. And honestly, uh, John Asher, my uncle who we met for the first time in a prior episode, he doesn't even say his name. He says 45 and will not say. So it, it really was like a four year visceral, like PTSD reaction. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been an interesting transition to, I can say president again and feel okay. About <laughs> Thank <it>. God. <laughs> Woo. Lodar. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, I'm excited to, I'm excited for the vaccine. 
I'm excited to yeah. see what happens with that. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I, I feel like, I still feel like this is 2020 part two, but we'll see. We'll see how this year goes. We started with an insurrection, so it does not look awesome. Um, <laughs> It's been, it's been a year already. It's been quite the year already. It's it's January, January was a hell of a year. Um, all right. So anyway, in the last uh, six months, the Trump administration has uh, been fast tracking the execution of those who have been convicted and put on death row. Um, it for should be crimes. for federal crimes, uh, which is all that he has jurisdiction over. <laughs> but he... In 2019, the Trump administration, uh, I bring up my actual. Well, yeah, I mean, this is actually a good transition because I imagine this is something that the Biden administration will not be continuing. It's it's one of those many things that like it was a blip that the Trump administration adopted this policy. Um, mm-hmm. It was outside the norm, and I do not imagine it will continue with this current administration. Joe Biden has already said that he's anti-death penalty. The The fact that Trump has actually like prioritized executions of, uh, of inmates and um, really uh, pushed for it even during the presidential, presidential transition, which um, is yeah, extremely just- unprecedented, not since um, Grover Cleveland have federal inmates been executed during a presidential transition. So um, I believe it was a uh, 13. Like, that's how far back we're looking. Right. Since it's been, since it's been done. So the longstanding, uh, the longstanding precedent was that you um, did not execute any inmates um, between the election and the inauguration of a new president. Um, the, the, there have been 13 executions since July when the Republican administration resumed putting inmates to death after a 17-year, sorry, resumed putting federal inmates to death after a 17-year hiatus. Um, And it has cemented Trump's legacy as the most prolific uh, execution president in over 130 years. I'm reading that from uh, an AP article. Uh, So, you know, it is kind of, when you think about what legacy that you want to leave as president and what you want to have stood for, um, especially since um, during uh, his re-election campaign, he really focused on his commutations and pardons. um, That's true, yeah. As he he kind of, he actually kind of painted himself as a criminal justice reform president. Uh, A lot of that work was championed by Kim Kardashian and other activists. Um, <laughs> Noted politician Kim Kardashian. Uh, yeah, and I yeah, gotta give props to her though. She got no, yeah. she got a lot of people pardoned and let out of prison who otherwise probably would have uh, uh, been rotting in jail at this point. So good for her for using her influence in that in that yeah. way. It's but, just weird um, to have a president have like for her to have a president's ear in terms of what happens in the criminal justice system. But for a yeah. hot second, and you and I talked about this being so surreal but good for a hot second it was a bipartisan thing criminal justice reform and sentencing reform specifically became uh something that republicans also embraced and then you have this which started 2019 i believe they they, uh, i believe that they expressed their intentions in 2019 Mm -hmm. and the uh policy was actually put in place last july i believe killing began Um, in july (laughs) uh 
uh, no, I'm sorry. It was, it was July of, of 2019 that they expressed uh, their intention. And then um, over the last, the last six months is when the executions, uh, I believe, took place. Which makes but, sense because I think there's probably, like, if you were to start in 2019, I can imagine the various appeal clocks yeah. kind of beginning then. So it's not that they held off until the end for better yeah. or worse. It's just that they probably couldn't actually act on it until... Uh, all the requisite appeals had expired. Right. But it, it does, it stands out to me um, specifically when we were, we were researching this episode and I was looking into this subject, I kept thinking like, why would he do this? Right. Except just to be cruel. And I, exactly. you know, the, the, there was an ongoing saying during the Trump administration, which is uh, people would say like the cruelty is the point when we were talking about separation of children at the border, when we were yeah. talking about um, a lot of his policies that just seem to go out of their way to hurt vulnerable people, uh, a lot of like, the response was often like the cruelty is the point. And that really struck me in this specifically, which is that he, at this point, you know, okay, so July, he was st- still running for reelection, but the, the, the real push to actually uh, carry through executions uh, continued into the transition. So he wasn't trying to win the votes of you know, hard on crime people. And during right. um, his ca- uh, campaign, he had focused so much on criminal justice reform that it seems like that was actually, to him, the winning uh, messaging. So to me, the only answer that I can really even consider for why he would, um, why his uh, Department of Justice would would prioritize this is that the cruelty is the point. It, <laughs> there's no, there, you're not winning votes with this. This is not... Right. Um, you know, the majority of Americans are against the death penalty. This is not something that is it's not, not a kitchen table issue. And <laughs> yeah. this is, a, a, you know, supposedly a quote unquote pro-life administration. That's, that's, you know, the, well, what they claim. Misnomer with so many issues, right? Right. Like, but it, it really underscores the, uh, the lack of um, credibility to that claim. Yeah. And even like you're saying, it's not a kitchen table issue. It really was not... Part of the reason that we're covering it is the fact that it wasn't who was pushing for this, about. and there was so much going on. Obviously, in the months between, all right, let's say like immediately pre-election and uh, inauguration, because that's when a fair amount of these happened. Um, they started in the summer, but but then into the fall, down to the wire. I I know of at least two that happened in the final weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't making headlines. It was not something that had to be a priority. It honestly should not have been a priority with all that was going on. Uh, I mean, we have a national and international crisis um, that would have appreciated more attention, but this was the priority. And so, I mean, the only sense I can make of it, not to justify, but just more to figure out kind of why somebody's doing something so that you can confront it more if if it is to come up again is that I think the cruelty is the point um maybe not in such a just blatantly I'm gonna do everything evil way even though to me it feels like that but using things that I'm not comfortable using as incentives and disincentives Mm. that there's just a comfort with deprivation of humanity to disincentivize people crossing the border, uh, to disincentivize crime, uh, or to punish people who you're mad at. Mm-hmm. That there's just a different threshold for how people like Trump strike back or yeah. 
you know, that, that that's something they're comfortable with. And, and that I think for both of us is, is such a moral beyond legal issue that mm-hmm. this is not a tool that we use to fight. But I, I think that it, we are a, a political and law podcast. So to get into a little bit of the history of the death penalty, um, the constitutionality of its use, and the way that it's worked its way through the legal system before in terms of um, Supreme Court cases and things of that nature. You know, again, with the um, the fact that it's been the, the precedent for so long has been um, kind of putting aside federal executions, it hasn't been the focus, and um, there's been such a 130-year precedent, uh, executions not being carried out during transitions. We wanted to take you step by step through the legal history of this. Yeah, and it seems like the death penalty is always something worth discussing too, especially as our country at large progresses through criminal justice reform. Hopefully this new administration will pioneer some changes at large. Um, I think in some of the research that Brooke did, it came up that it has not been since 2003 that federal executions actually took place, which it's worth noting that uh, that was in GW Bush's administration um, that the last ones did take place. So there's, again, with the kind of the values and the ranking that we put on, on taking human life as a federal government, when so many other things are going on, it's telling to me. Yeah, you're telling me in, in um, like 2003, that's, that's what we were concerned with as a nation. Yeah, like, what, that's what we need to do? <laughs> Come uh, on, turn we, your attention to other issues. taking life in other countries. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't enough for you? Yeah, come on. You've got your appetite met. Um, but yeah, so just to, to backtrack, because sentencing comes up, a lot of the questions about whether the government should be in the business of, of taking its citizens' lives and whether sentencing should ever consider this, <laughs> you got to start with what we're trying to do when we sentence people. And this kind of rationale can be applied to... Um, life sentences to excessive sentences for nonviolent crimes too. Um, It's not just an analysis that you use for the death penalty, but I kind of wanted to start on what the different concepts are of what we're trying to do when we sentence somebody. And this can exist apart from carceral punishment, that sentencing doesn't always have to be linked to carceral whatever, but just Punishing somebody as a society, which I think a lot of us would agree, especially for violent crimes, should be done. How we decide what we do to them, <laughs> yeah, and what what punishment they face. So, just to like go way back to the more philosophical bases that we use. So, there's a guy named Jeremy Bentham. He was a, a British philosopher, legal philosopher in this context. Um, his goals of sentencing summary was that you kind of weigh things like social harm of the crime and the personal choice that the person committing it uh, had in doing so. So you think of something like, lame is, I had to steal bread from my ailing family. Uh Um, How much personal choice is in that versus um, Logan Paul stealing from the Apple store under the guise of BLM protests? that there's different levels of freedom of choice in both of those actions. Mm. Um, even though the crime... Yeah, where's Logan Paul's musical? Where's his Can Where's his ballad? We should write it. Sure, yeah. I'm not doing oh much my else. God. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are good things to consider. Uh, 
He also considered that the punishment should cause greater pain in a royal sense than the crime caused pleasure. And also measuring that pain that it inflicts to the social utility of the punishment and the pain of the punishment to the pain that the crime caused. So those, I think that that's a pretty rational way to look at things. Um, again, it's, it's really nebulous and removed from any sort of actual application yet, but... Well, then there's, you know, I think that when we talk about, like, what our goals are with things like violent crime, it, it, is it inherently like, okay, you did a bad thing, now something bad will be done to you? Or is it Perfect. you did a bad thing and now you need to face the consequences of your actions and uh, repay that debt to some extent and also um, hopefully be um, rehabilitated in some way? Yeah to where you, you, you don't have that proclivity anymore. And I think like when we're talking about, you know, stealing bread for your family versus Logan Paul stealing a, an iPad <laughs> yeah. or whatever he did, it's if we ignore the cause of crime, if we ignore like the root, the root causes, which not always, but often are uh, systemic flaws, not just poverty, but poverty is like one of the things that like often comes into play. Uh, you can look systemic at systemic dysfunction in however general. However far you want to trace it, you can look mm-hmm. at access to education and healthcare. You can look at access to reproductive control. Yeah. Um, kind of like, why is this person in the situation that they're in? Yeah. Um, you can look at how, even like how the criminal justice system, it, its legacy and impact that um, it so often has broken communities to the point where yeah. like there is no collective care and therefore people are more likely to uh, behave in ways that are antisocial. Yeah, like the choice of participating in legal society versus illegal actions um, does not favor participating in a legal way because yeah. the, the money and support is, is more readily available through illegal means. Um, again, I think both of us tend to set violent crime in a, a different category, mm-hmm. which again, as we'll get to, Neither of us believe that the death penalty is um, an appropriate response, even in violent crime circumstances. But when you think of, and actually what you said set this up perfectly, what is the goal of punishment? So there are two kind of schools of thought, and I think our criminal justice system um, at its worst, but also at its best, too, incorporates both of them. So the utilitarian theory of punishment is did the act cause social harm? So mm-hmm. it kind of focuses on the utility of the punishment. Is there a risk of future crime that this person will do the same thing again? And would punishing them in whatever way we're sentencing deter them from doing that? Um, and then there's the retributivist theory. And I know, Brooke, you kind of set it up like rehabilitation versus revenge. So this mm-hmm. is the revenge piece. And I think they're not mutually exclusive, but this is the the more revenge-based mindset is retributivist, which is- An eye for an eye. If you do something violent to someone else, something violent should be done to you. And I think that there is, there's almost like a basic um, primal, that's a very basic primal response. Right. Uh, I think it's like, um, you know, instinctually, if harm is done to to us or our loved ones, um, so specifically when it comes to violent crime, I think this is more applicable. But the, uh, I think our first most basic response is to um, uh, lash out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like you, you, t- you did, you did harm to me, and therefore um, harm should be done to you. 
and you deserve that because you inflicted harm. And, well, and I think there's there's a little logic to it too, because when you think about Jeremy Bentham relating that the punishment should cause greater pain than the crime caused pleasure or met some goal at the mm-hmm. time, like whatever violent crime was, whether you were mad at the person, that, that there should be some sort of relativism that you are punished for doing a thing that hurt somebody and you're punished more than you got out of the Mm -hmm. reaction in a way that then I think does have a deterrent value in future because then you're less likely to act on your angry instincts or whatever. But I think one thing that's interesting that I, that to me that came up um, a few times, I I got this information from the um, death penalty information center. Their uh, link is deathpenaltyinfo.org. They had a bunch of really helpful statistics and information on this. But one thing that uh, stood out to me and that has come up a few times is that, you know, when we're talking about, even in cases talking about the, the instinct of like wanting revenge, if the goal of that even, even mindset is to uh, even out what happened, mm-hmm. right? It's evening out the harm that was done and, and, and carrying that out on the person that did the harm. Um, the, if, what, is, what is the goal there, if not, except for just evening the scales? Because if the goal is to bring justice, so the only, the only way that the death penalty uh, is handed out is if a, a death occurred from whatever crime took place. So either premeditated murder. not always murder, the case. And we'll get into some of the legal history because especially the case that Brooke is going to highlight later, um, this has not always been applied with as much um, consideration, uh, as much examination as it is now, at the very least. Absolutely. But the the ideal now is it it can only be applied in situations where like a death resulted from whatever crime. And it's usually a pretty um, heinous death. It's usually uh, supposed to be aggravated or uh, premeditated first degree something like that. However, um, if it, it, we have to ask ourselves again, like, what is the goal? Is the goal to give um, uh, closure to the victim's yeah. families? Because there is kind of a growing movement from victim's families uh, that you, not every victim's family feels this way. And I don't mean to speak for all of them, but it doesn't usually actually do that. It doesn't usually bring closure. It, it doesn't bring their family member back not or back. their loved yeah. one back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now another person is dead. And that's really the, the end yeah. result of this. So what are we getting back through like, this what's, act what's of, the actual of killing game? this person? Yeah. And so I think, I mean, it's a tricky, it's almost a tricky lens to see it through because um, like you and I have been talking about, I, I used to have a lot of trouble with thinking about full death penalty abolition because I would think about it in terms of if somebody killed my mom and did so in an aggravated circumstance, which is... It, in in most, if not all, states, what is required? It can't just be it can't even manslaughter or like accidental just, death or yeah. Or there has to be some sort of aggravated factor. Yeah, they rape and kill, or they kill multiple people, or you know something like that. Um, if it were my family member, if it were my friend, if it were somebody I cared about, you'd goddamn right I want that person dead. But the way that I reframed it in my own head is should the government be in the business of taking the lives of its citizens, especially when there are so many flaws in the legal process. Mm -hmm. And the case, again, that that you'll highlight later, um, really shows that. And then one other thing that occurs to me is that documentary that Natalie had recommended to us that I ended up watching. Natalie Jane, our good friend of the show, Natalie Jane. Yeah. So when I was 
unemployed over the holidays and just frivolously subscribing to new streaming services, which is a very bad idea if you're unemployed. <laughs> so I streamed. They're, they're so enticing. They're right there and you get the free trial and they're mm. banking on you not canceling. And I didn't. So um, there's a documentary called Crazy Not Insane. And the, the premise was that they talked to this psychiatrist and she's a gal who's worked with Ted Bundy and, and a whole bunch of really uh, bad people and, and violent bad people. She, she was in the criminal psych ward at Bellevue for many years. Um, but an anti-death penalty argument that she presented is we get so much useful research that does not hurt the, the inmates or the patients at all out of them being around to talk to, to examine, to consult. Like, we learn so much more from these people being alive in a way mm -hmm. that actually will prevent it potentially in future. But we right. don't get any of that if they're dead. Yeah. So there actually is a utilitarian, a huge utilitarian benefit that I, had, I hadn't heard this argument made before, mm -hmm. um, that if we want to prevent this from happening to future people, we have to understand why. Right. So there's a preventative uh, yeah. benefit as well. And, you know, so, th so on both sides, you have the sort of moral argument, which is, again, should the government have power to take the lives of um, citizens or residents of the United States? And on the other hand, um, what is the actual benefit of doing that? Is it actually more beneficial yeah. for us to be able to like talk to them and figure out what their yeah, motivations absolutely. might have been, what the causes of what they did might have been, and then prevent that in the future? Mm -hmm. And it seems like a win-win if you know they get psychotherapy benefits um, mm -hmm. and don't die. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, that was a very interesting argument that I had not previously heard. But we can go a little bit into the legality piece and the history and some of these cases. As Brooke said, what the fuck is going on in Georgia? Because all of our death penalty cases, which actually with the exception of one, which is an Arizona case. Three out of our four cases are, are from <laughs> Georgia. Yeah, I can't be proud of the exception either. But so... A lot of the basis for abolition from our own legality, and we'll also talk a little bit about international law, which is a huge piece of this too, that this is getting less and less normal with developed nations, but we'll get there. So a lot of the basis for abolition from our own legality, and we'll also talk a little bit about international law, which is a huge piece of this too, that this is getting less and less normal with um, developed nations, but we'll get there. Um, so the biggest basis for abolition of the death penalty in our own system is the Eighth Amendment. And so that is the, the seminal ban on cruel and unusual punishment. It's been incorporated, so it, it applies to both the federal and state governments using the death penalty, using any other punishments. It used to be, um, in a legal sense, applied more to kind of means of torture and stroking down very aggressive physical punishments. Mm -hmm. um, now it's primarily used to evaluate the application of the death penalty. So people under 18, people who are developmentally disabled, people who um, didn't take a life, for example. Um, and I, I mean, the cruel piece is obvious enough that cruelty is cruelty and it's also subjective and it's also subjective in societal contexts. So like what was cruel in 
1674, again, like before our country, but mm-hmm. we progress in terms of humanity generally. How much we value human life and yeah. what we consider to be like violations of, of humanity, violations of people's human rights. Yeah, bending toward the arc of, of moral justice, bends mm-hmm. toward, you know. Um, so, so we tend to value people more as time goes on. But the unusual piece is another subjective element that is very interesting when you think about the number of states that don't do this and the number of countries with whom we're allied and treaty signatories and UN members who don't do this. And the United States is only well, uh, is um, one of four advanced democracies yeah. that still uh, utilizes the death penalty. And we'll get to the international law piece because I think you had some stuff on other like applications of the death mm-hmm. penalty that are maybe not government sanctioned, but are government sanctioned. But in any event, there are more and more countries that don't do it. There are more and mm-hmm. more states that don't do it. So when you're looking at something like unusual, that is something that changes if it is literally unusual, <laughs> if, if we're the yeah. only ones who do it. So um, we can get into history meets when we use it now. Um, some states have banned it altogether. Uh, if you do have it in a state, uh, there is now a requirement, thanks to an Arizona law that abolished this requirement um, and was struck down by the Supreme Court, uh, that you have a second sentencing hearing where a jury decides on whether the death penalty should be instituted if it's eligible, which th- it was the goal of the Supreme Court decision was that a jury of your peers should decide if you should die. For better or worse, um, at least in Arizona, juries were more eager. <laughs> to That's the thing is, I think that people, um, you know, we we have this kind of um, Pollyanna view yeah. of juries in our country sometimes, right. where it's so easy to be like, oh well, jury of your peers, that's justice, but. Uh, as, as someone uh, close to me um, that I, who I won't name because I don't want him to get flack for this, but he always <laughs> used to say, it's not a jury of your peers. It's a jury of people who were too dumb to get out of jury duty. Yes, I've heard that too. <laughs> there's, there's also like, it's, you, as much as we screen juries, there's, st- there's still humans with bias and lives outside of jury duty. And they're that they random. Most likely want to get back to you. They're randomly picked. You can they, hold two juries and, you know, and honestly, like, they're not legally trained. So yeah. they're going to react based on what they feel, not based on, like, I react differently now that I know about standards of proof than to a murder trial, for example, right. in the most heinous of circumstances and conviction there than I would have before because I'm just more attuned to like, well, I hate it. I hate this person. I hope they die from other means, but they weren't convicted correctly. Like that, it's just a different thing. My whole feeling about this is like, I've met my peers. I don't want any (laughs) of them on my jury. I don't want any of them deciding if I go to prison or not. (sighs) It's like they're, they're, it's, it's, it might be the best system we can come up with right now. But it's not a great, it's not actually that great of a system. Like, it's like these people still have, you know, they are subject to the theatrics of, mm-hmm. um, you know, of, of trials. And we, we've talked about this before, but like trials are basically evidentiary, especially criminal trials. And um, like what, sometimes, what comes in? 
what doesn't Sometimes come in. It's not even the most competent lawyer yeah. that presents the best case. It's the most charismatic lawyer who presents the best case. Oh, and you add that to the jury. To defense lawyers um, being whomever, especially for indigent clients, if it's somebody who just gets whomever is appointed, um, a lot of, of those defense attorneys are incredible, but a lot of them are just doing it because they have to. Yeah. And so it's a real crapshoot as and the defense. Every, I mean, get. so many public no defense control. attorneys are underpaid, overworked. They yes, have, exactly. thousand, you know, they have thousands of cases on their desk. They, the, 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 what we the offer to there. people who um, can't afford their own attorney is not, and like, yeah, bless, bless public defenders. I'm yeah. not at all speaking ill of them, but um, a lot of them just don't have the capacity to deal with a number of cases that come across their desk and yeah. give them everything that it needs to be given. Um, and, and qualify that. Thank God we have them because no, there is a world where, and that that's another ongoing constitutional battle that I think jurisprudence will evolve, hopefully in the direction of justice. But um, the types of cases and death penalties is always one of them for better mm -hmm. or worse, but the types of cases for which we are constitutionally entitled to an attorney, um, it varies. Mm -hmm. And it varies state to state. It varies where the constitutional national floor is. So, yeah, it's it's better than it is in a lot of countries in terms of, of representation of counsel, but you don't get the best per se. And uh, Because public defenders aren't given the best. If, if anything, right now, yeah. we're advocating for more resources and more public oh, defenders. Yeah. We're not advocating against them at all. Yeah, give them more money, give them more time, um, incentivize hiring them. Yeah, yeah so that's definitely... Um, and then one thing that you actually had brought up that I didn't know was that some states, because the real point is that a lot of states have banned the death penalty altogether, but I, yeah, believe, I believe it's, uh, there's 28 states that still um, ha uh, have death penalty. There are 22 states that have abolished the death penalty. So you mentioned that some states have reinstated the death penalty post Furman versus Georgia. Our, yeah, so our, I didn't realize that we walked backwards a little bit. But our yay. first applicable case was Furman versus Georgia <laughs> in 1972, um, in which the United States Supreme Court invalid invalidated all death penalty schemes in a four uh, five four decision. Um, the so these were an awesome time for the Supreme Court. We got Roe. We got. <laughs> But then the same decade, after 1972, when the Supreme Court struck down the death penalty stat uh, statutes in Furman Reed, Georgia, um, 50 uh, years ago, a majority like 50 of 50 years ago, yeah, we, is, we made this moral progress and then we just know. A bunch of states passed new death penalty statutes. They're like, you're not taking away our death penalty. God damn it. <laughs> well, we retain the right to kill. Um, the court affirmed legality of capital punishment in Greg v. Georgia, which is a 1976 case. So for four years, uh, it was struck down. Wow. But uh, a lot of states were just like, no, we're bringing it back. Uh, See, it is nice to feel a little bit like it's not so weird where we're living right now because when I see these precedents being thrown out by a court of a different political composition, I don't know those cases super well and I don't know who was on the court at the times, but I, it feels a little bit less scary, even though it's shitty, to know that, okay, 50 years ago, this also, this okay. back and forth was happening. I don't know, man. Yeah, here, and this is kind of, honestly... Whenever we talk about um, 
even like the Trump administration, mm-hmm. uh, or it, we, we use the word impressions with a lot, but um, there have been it is. <laughs> the, there have been horrible times. There, no, there have. I mean, we oh, there have been, I see, like, yeah. so many cases, but there have been horrible presidents. There have been horrible times. We've gone yeah. back and forth. Like this is not what we're experiencing may it might be it might feel very unique to us and it might be unique in the grand scheme of things but there have been a lot of um times uh in our history that have just been really bad for a lot of people yeah i guess don't fully lose hope because yeah because it it, it's a big it's a pendulum things back and forth this is not um in in no way like there's a lot of a lot of really bad shit happens and a lot of really good shit happens and just kind of cunt continues in that cycle over and over again. You forever. gotta hope it. Just yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so sorry. The uh, the cases themselves. So yeah, 1976 was when uh, the court affirmed the legality of capital punishment. Um, the, the there are some states that are a little really little good. more eager <laughs> than others. Um, the specifically <laughs> Texas just love the death penalty they just you whatever they can it. i mean they're a huge state so they have a higher yeah, they population, do have a higher population so, um, like I, I was noting um uh, the again death penalty information center is where i got these stats but uh in my home state of wyoming there's been only one uh uh execution since 1977 but there's but only it's also the people yeah in the state um right. whereas uh there are you know uh much bigger states that have that still have pretty low numbers. Like California only has thirteen. Well, because um, they they kind of went back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. They had a, I believe, a state constitutional amendment that abolished it. But then, um, like the bill that would have put the amendment into force. There's something about like there's an executive order on the books, but it hasn't fully been mm-hmm. ratified. But also, the state hasn't done any death penalty. Uh, Execution. They, have, they haven't done any death penalties. Yeah, and like New York is a populous state, but we've gotten rid of it fully. Right. Not to brag. No, it's good. We can, this is one one person that we can brag in. <laughs> uh, but the so Texas has is the highest state, um, or it has mm. the highest number of uh, executions since 1977. Um, again, that date's relevant, obviously, because that's when uh, 1976 was when uh, the, it was um, the legality of capital punishment was reaffirmed. Gates so, open. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas has executed 570 people since 1977. Um, Jesus. And we're going to come back to this issue, uh, especially when we have a cat, cat on. But mm-hmm. um, something that it, you can't talk about this issue and not note the fact that uh uh black americans are far more likely to be given the death penalty than um members of other races not um, low income too even though the stats are harder to track on that you think of like now that it's just murder but white collar criminals people who have yeah. access to good attorneys that there's so much financial that goes into it too this is a race issue it's a class issue um it's a, a very Go easy, easy to point out example of uh, the racism within the criminal justice yeah. system. How cases are decided. Um, it's been proven over and over again that Black Americans are given harsher punishments. Texas has executed 570 people since 1977, and 206 of those people were Black. 
um, if you if you go to uh, and I will link it in the story note or in the uh, in the show notes. But if you go to this uh, deathpenaltyinfo.org, they have a map that shows state by state the executions, and you can um, you can narrow it down to uh, the race of those executed, and you can see all the different states. I, I chose Texas because it's um, kind of a stark it example. Stood but out. Yeah, it was there. It was red. It was the biggest. Absolutely, but this is this is a pretty consistent theme um, in in many states. Um, so, if, if anything, this is just more of a reason to get rid of the death penalty altogether because it's it obviously applied it's applied it's applied incorrectly, and it is um, applied much more in cases where uh, the defendants of those convicted were black than white or any other race. Right, and so like not even to suggest. Or more, to explain why we assume it's wrong because it's applied like that, um, it's because factors like jury bias, um, mm. accessibility to a, a really a quality defense for, the, for what's on the line, um, bias in policing, um, and in interrogation, um, in arrests, that there are so many factors that are... Um, they're variables and they're variables that tend to disfavor black people and, and other minorities too. I think Mm -hmm. um, Arizona was relatively high on the list. And I think Latinx um, is probably a high percentage there adding low income to this as well. Yeah. That um, there are reasons it's not just because they fall into this category. We assume it's wrong. You can trace it down to why, um, yeah. and so it, again, it's, it's not to say that aggravated violent offender murderers don't deserve punishment. It's when and why the state is taking life. Exactly. And if it's okay to do that. It's why are certain people, yeah, yeah. not only the greater question of should the state be allowed to take human life in general, but also why are certain groups handed harsher harsher sentences given the death penalty more often yeah which is a a criminal justice reform question at large even beyond Mm -hmm. the death penalty absolutely no 100 percent um so there are a couple other uh i think progressive in the scheme of things changes that have happened um that we should note so the United States, well, okay, this is not progress, but uh, the United States allows the death penalty at 16 years and up on a federal level, and uh, we can credit that to Justice Alito, who is still on the court and wrote that decision. Um, international law norms require 18 and up, so again, when yeah. we're thinking of unusual punishment. Imagine <laughs> arguing in favor of putting years. teens to death. Which, honestly, 18 and up, still teens. Um, no, still but teens, but, like, younger teens. Kids in their mid-teens. Also, it's, like, we... My as, brain is as informed. A, as a country, we, yeah, have have um, accepted that your brain isn't fully formed until you're 25. Um, I just got this frontal lobe baked, baby. It's been smoothie uh-huh. in there, and it just, it I just cemented. I remember thinking of that. When I turned 25, I was like, oh, shit, like... This I didn't have you're stuck with this brain judgment forever. until now. Like <laughs> Jesus Christ! I made so many decisions before this. <laughs> we create laws around that truth, around that fact. We, well, uh, we you should. Know, well, the, with the you can't. So in the United States, 
you can't buy alcohol until you're 21 because they want your brain to have more time to finish forming before you well, soak it in gin or whatever. But don't get into the draft. Because you can be, easy. yeah. But it's yeah, you can be killed either for your country or by your country when you're 16 and 18. <laughs> so Beautiful. the way the legal system is set up, the way laws are set up, we are willing to um, acknowledge science when it's. Uh, oh God! So when it's true. convenient, when it when okay, when it's yeah, don't okay. You're not allowed to buy alcohol or cigarettes or whatever. You're not allowed to buy marijuana until you're 21 because we appreciate the fact that your brain is still you know macaroni and cheese and it's not going to finish <laughs> like it's, it's still wet cement. It's not going to finish forming until you're 25. But um, we're gonna we're going to reserve the right to put you to death if you're 16. Yeah, I mean it. It, it comes down to that whole pro-life anomaly and that you referenced earlier like where are we actually considering science and and i would distill that at this point to truth um to fact that yeah certain things about biology in both cases and and about who we are as people and that morality is a very nebulous concept but facts aren't and so that is one of them but yeah, so bottom line, in this country, we can federally at least, and if states want to adopt that bottom line as well, we can kill 16-year-olds and older. Um, yeah, so Coker versus Georgia, um, again, Georgia, was uh, the case where the Supreme Court abolished the death penalty for non-homicide cases. Um and this is one where the reasoning is kind of tough. If you, like I do, try to separate the punishment element from how we treat crimes element. And this is, if you watch BoJack Horseman, um, there's that episode where they talk about, where like gun laws and hatred of women start abutting because women decide that they're going to start arming themselves and threatening men who are creepy to them. Um, and I think the newscaster on BoJack is like, our country decides whether it hates women more than it loves guns. And lo and behold, it hates women more. And so gun laws are passed. Yay. Um, but this, it's a similar... I, like, that's not even like, that's a joke, but it's not even a joke because gun I, laws were passed in California because black communities started arming themselves. Exactly. And so I'm thinking like, maybe we should do that. Because we can't lose. <laughs> Either we're safer or gun laws. I mean, I think I've basically said this on the podcast before, but like I'm I'm pretty pro strapping up, especially if you're a minority or a woman. Like at this point, we should do. I don't want to have to learn to use them. God damn it. Uh, oh, we'll, go, should... we'll go to a shooting range. I mean, you should be responsible with them, but I've gone shooting. I went shooting with my soon to be, fingers crossed, ex husband's gun-toting mother, like, the day after my ex-boyfriend killed himself, because I try to meet people in the middle, but I was a very good shot. And leave that in, because I love So it. much of that sentence is just, it, you never, you, I never knew where it was going. You started, and then <laughs> at no point did I know where that sentence was going. Welcome it just my got life. more insane as you kept speaking. Oh, God, I'm trapped in this. This is what happens when you, again, Scorpio sun, Gemini moon, Sagittarius <laughs> rising. This is what you get, baby. Oh, I love that you knew that. Um, anyways, yeah, so this is like a, a tough, it's a conflicting thing for me because the the rationale of some of the people in the minority, this was an aggravated rape case. And then there was a later case that added child rape, aggravated child rape to the same um, no death penalty rationale in the Supreme Court. 
um, which, so like the Supreme Court, if they set their floor low, means that states can also have a low floor. If they set their floor high, it means no states can do that. Um, right. Because there's the whole supremacy clause in the Constitution. Because they set the standard. Exactly, yeah. So um, when you think about like uh, aggressive, uh, aggressive is the wrong word because it's not quite what aggravated, but like especially violent rape and rape of children, um, the minority Especially heinous. Yeah, the minority's argument in favor of the death penalty for cases like this was that if you don't authorize this, you're belittling the lifelong effects that are sometimes akin to loss of life that happen to rape victims right. in aggravated circumstances and children who are raped. That the Loss of life isn't always necessarily the worst thing that can happen, and so it's belittling mm-hmm. the consequences in a world that we do allow the death penalty. Um, but in any event, the majority's rationale was that the jury has rare sentencing authority in death sentence cases, like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're giving our random peers that authority, um, we should consider proportionate harm and loss of life to loss of right. life. So I, I understand that. Um, yeah. And also, again, always coming back to um, the, the victims in those cases, they deserve something, right? They deserve some kind yeah. of um, – society Uh, justice but what does justice actually mean and what does like it's like the the those crimes are indefensible and it's it's not even we're not even arguing on like a like what do they deserve it's what does a what do the victims gain from like what are we actually giving them as a society by handing out the death penalty yeah and i think i would expand it a little bit in a way that makes it more difficult to retributive ism isn't just the victims it's not just the direct but it's kind of society at large deciding that this is morally culpable Mm -hmm. you've had a free choice and you made a condemnable choice with your free will and we as a society won't feel okay if you don't suffer for that and so that's kind of the like when you hear about i don't know like john benet ramsey and you're like i hope whoever does that kind of thing suffers everything Mm -hmm. um and i hope that they never feel happiness again in their life like it's that kind of and there is an element of deterrence to that because it's like oh god i will be hated i will be whatever if i do that sort of thing Mm -hmm. so there's a a royal sense of of societal retributive whatever right um but then we bring in which we will touch more on when we have cat on um but we bring in the um additional complicating factor of uh we the, the the justice system is flawed the legal system is flawed and the there is the possibility that um we are uh the, the wrong person is arrest, arrested and convicted oh gosh so yeah. you know so we're we, not even, even when we're talking them. right even yeah. when we're talking about you know what does the person who did this deserve um we have to also consider the person who was arrested and brought in and convicted is not always the person who did it. So right, then do we want cases. to give the state that power to exactly. carry this out when we've seen, and we will talk more about a case um, in the next episode or in the next section of this episode uh, where I, where this was the case, but where innocent people have been 
arrested, tried, and convicted, and later the cases overturned after they were already put to death, um, where they were not the culprit. So do mm-hmm. we want the government to have the power to decide who is deserving or not of death if they have proven that they are not always correct and assuming and you, who that person yeah, is? We've seen, especially this year, um, this time-based year, not mm-hmm. calendar year, but um, that there's been such a highlight on how poorly police power is applied mm-hmm. and the flaws that are so inherent to the system that we use to arrest people, which is, is what starts the ball rolling on on conviction and sentencing. Because um, I, I tend to have more faith in the court system than I do the police based end of that system but the police based end is where it starts which Mm -hmm. is kind of fucked if you think about it but that's uh, where the state starts to develop their case and we've seen so often evidence mishandled evidence fabricated yep um uh you know bias and and who is taken in yeah absolutely so it's if that's where um the case is built and that's you know what that's That's what we're relying on district attorneys bring to court when they are presenting their case that's where the evidence starts um, if we don't trust that, if we don't trust that system, Except then there are questions throughout. Yeah. There's, there's, um, you know, there's, uh, there, we have to ask ourselves, like, if the, if we're, if where it's the case starts is flawed, mm-hmm. then is having the possibility of the death penalty on the table yes. ever, ever moral? And that's honestly a way that I framed it um, to myself in thinking about whether I'm okay with the death penalty at large. And what I've come down to, which may or may not be where you land, is if we are certain that somebody does what we say they did um, and that it's some sort of aggravated taking of life, whether that be, you know, some sort of violence and sexual assault or physical assault to the person beforehand, multiples, whatever, Um, and we are certain to the point that if there is some higher power that I don't believe in, (laughs) they would verify, like, there is no question. Right. Um, and the legal system had that proof. Was flawless. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. I wouldn't mind. Mm. I would not mind that person. Um, and maybe I should reexamine that with the whole, like, we learn more about, Mm-hmm. The, the utilitarian argument, yeah. But in a world that's that perfect, we probably have figured out medical research too. So I don't know. I can tweak <laughs> the scenario. <laughs> it's that far fetched. But I mean, in this Eden, is there even crime? Right? Honestly, like, like <laughs> we can go down this rabbit hole in a way that eliminates everything. But if we knew that certain people, like the Ted Bundys of the world, the really like abhorrent, violent, multi- like they are not going to be reformed. They're right. not going to be fixed. They're just shit humans, and there's get them out of here. In that world, the John Wayne Gacy's, the yeah. you know all of the Richard Ramirez, all of these people. Yeah, I don't mind them dying at all. Um, but it's the fact that before we have that system, we're still going to do this. Mm-hmm. That's where I come down to like there are too many faults in the system, even when death isn't on the table. Yeah, that I'm not okay with it. Um, so, so, yeah, can we trust the state with making that decision? It's, yeah, it's not like, again, do these people deserve or not deserve? And it's always tough because 
The cases where it gets to the Supreme Court are the ones where the only question left is the constitutional one. So it, you can appeal death penalty cases up as far as there are options, but that doesn't mean that the Supreme Court will grant cert. It doesn't mean that they will see a constitutional issue in what is otherwise a state power sort of case. Mm -hmm. um, so usually the ones the one the decisions that we're citing are the ones where there is some sort of like um can you do it for non-homicide can you do it for a 16 year old yes um there's some outstanding issue so the the question of if they're terrible people yeah they usually are <laughs> so it's, it's not a sexy um you know emotionally appealing sort of case when these questions come up and that makes it really difficult yeah um i don't well, defend these people but there are, I think that there is, I mean, again, just to throw some, the, the, the few times that I'm adding nuance, that's just, there oh, are, please. there <laughs> are a lot of cases um, where people who are on death row for 20 years, they, you yeah. know, maybe they were involved in, um, in something, a, a shootout or something that happened where someone died oh, and um, something they did resulted in death. And we'll talk more in the next That's part true. about the 1994 crime bill and how it expanded um, uh, what it means to commit uh, a felony murder. But there are cases where like people did do horrible things or they did something that resulted in death of someone else. And over their 20 years on death row, um, they, they, apologized they did change they um yeah. you know pr they tried to, to to help people around them to help other inmates to um they took oh, responsibility for their actions uh -huh. and and i think that um th this idea that you know we, we can look at the cases the horrible cases where uh it's like yeah that person can't be reformed they're a psychopath and they if they are you know let out among the public again, they will absolutely do more harm. But there are plenty of cases where people uh, do make a horrible choice that results in the death of someone else and they are given the death penalty. And over time, um, maybe immediately they regret it. Maybe immediately they know it was wrong. Uh, or like over time, they are reformed, um, which is amazing considering our system does not focus on re reform at all right, right. or it's prioritize it. It actually uh -huh. often does the diff the, does the opposite, where it like like I'd further... probably just kill myself at that point. Yeah. <laughs> they do the work. <laughs> yeah, if you're the American prison system is incredibly inhumane, but the there are people who are very clearly reformed, and it's like. At what point is, do we say yeah. that they should, that, okay, they have, they, do they still deserve, quote unquote, deserve, who are we even to decide that, but do they still, quote unquote, yeah. deserve death? Is, and that's kind of where I think this, uh, highlighting this, running the gamut of there are the worst possible people in the world, and those are the ones that often make these constitutional question cases come up because there's no other question mm -hmm. left on the table. And then there are these ones who are left in the system and it really is unjust to mm -hmm. kill them yeah. for what they've done. It, it shows that the question has to come down to is our criminal justice system in our state, in the state that it's in now, um, justified in yeah. being in the business of taking life as a punishment. And I don't Absolutely. think we're there. I think so, we both agree on that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 
And I would just like to add this one one bit before, because we, we are, I think we're like way over an hour We're, at this we're point. way over and we'll recap. I'll just do one sentence of international law before. Yeah, please end. do. But, yeah. The, one thing I just wanted to, to add to this also, this whole conversation is we're talking about, um, you know, the the morality of, of um, the state uh, killing, executing uh, people who have been arrested and tried and convicted for doing horrible things. Um, meanwhile, there are people who... Uh, have done horrible, heinous things who are still walking around <laughs> oh, yeah. protected by our protected by our system because they are wealthy and powerful and yes. connected and influential. I mean, uh, white men who are wealthy and like, Jeffrey Epstein was like, allowed to run rampant for decades. Aggravated at, rape. Exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, many people who he, um, uh, facilitated, uh, you know, he, 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 many people who he was connected to are still, will never be held accountable. Anyway, so uh, yeah, please, uh, let's wrap us up on international yeah, so law. We'll Mackenzie, take us out. Okay. So, um, again, considering, keep this in your mind that the eighth amendment requires, um, a ban on cruel and unusual punishment. So mm-hmm. we have to consider other countries that are in the world at large and also that we're allied with in different subsets of, you know, treaty systems, the UN. Um, So like Brooke had mentioned before, the United States is one of only four advanced democracies where this is legal. It is the only Western democracy where it's legal, although uh, you had mentioned that there are some kind of questionable governmental systems like the Philippines. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the Philippines is not a Western country, but it is a country yeah. where uh, death penalty is quote-unquote illegal, but there are death squads that carry out Rodrigo Duterte's yeah. uh, execution uh, orders all the time. So, And that's true of some Middle East countries, too, that mm-hmm. like technically it's not allowed, um, but they do it. But so that aside, I don't know that we would call them the paragons of, of governmental morality on the global scale anyways, so whatever. Yeah. Um, but so there are sources of international law that we are technically bound to that ban or probably ban this type of punishment. So the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which, um, Eleanor Roosevelt actually pioneered and drafted, which like she gets so short a shrift for what she did. Article three. So high on the list of the UHDR um, so that everybody in the world has a right to life and security of person. Um, the ICCPR, which is the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which is a UN treaty that we're a signatory to, Article 6 says that everybody has an inherent right to life and to have to not have that r- life arbitrarily deprived. Um, and it actually addresses the death penalty in the conversations that we had on on debating the ICCPR. Um, If countries do not interpret that to abolish the death penalty altogether, which was suggested, um, you can only use it for the most serious crimes and you have to guarantee a competent court, need to have the right to seek a pardon. You can't allow it under 18 or on pregnant women, so we already violated that. Um, and nothing can be interpreted to delay the abolition of capital punishment altogether. Uh, the last, well, second to last thing is the American Convention on Human Rights, which was a multinational uh, meeting that we had of, of both continents. Um, there was a protocol, and a protocol in this context is it's kind of like an amendment to the treaty, 
but it operates separately and voluntarily. So you can still be a party to the treaty if you don't opt into the protocol. But so there was a protocol to abolish the death penalty and we didn't opt in. So lest we consider ourselves special, um, yeah, other countries did and we didn't. Uh, the last thing that I think is interpretable is the Geneva Conventions of 1949, which, side note, it gets my darn goat when people say the Geneva Convention because it's not that it is multiple it is four Geneva Conventions and so that's a way to just like if you want to be petty and trounce somebody who says Geneva Convention you want to like fight with them you can be like actually it's the Geneva Convention but yeah in any event there was a ban in the category of crimes against humanity which arose out of uh World War II and the Nuremberg trials um which banned this kind of undefined fluid conduct that included acts that are not war crimes or genocide. Uh, so, yeah, that, it's possible, especially when you think about, like, progressing and, and pendulous movement towards uh, being a more moral, just world. Um, I think that crimes against humanity could certainly cover that. Uh, but lest we follow any of these decrees, I, I you know... Yeah, it seems like we're mostly ignoring those, so I don't know why we'd stop now. <laughs> anyway, we are going to have uh, Kat Tempon talk more about this from a criminal justice reform point of view, um, and we hope you will join us for that as well. Thank you guys for tuning in for this. We have a lot of feelings, topic. and we don't even go here. So. We don't even. We're, we're not even involved in this. Um, yeah. Mackenzie, where can they find you on the things? God knows, America. Um, so on Instagram, I'm MKZJoyBrennan. And on Twitter, I'm GetMeToANunnery with the, the two is the number two. I don't know if I specified Have you ever that. said that? I don't no, think so. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram at Brooke Angeline. You can find me on Twitter at BKE Rogers. Uh, you can find both of our Patreons at yeah. uh, patreon.com slash extremely persuasive. We're going to do, um, we're doing a bonus episode now every month that's exclusive to our Patreon subscribers. Mackenzie also has some cool uh, stickers and cards that she's sending out with our photos on them if you'd like them. And we're going to be kind of figuring out more of what we're doing on Patreon as we go forward. But um it's gonna be yeah, our next there. Our next bonus up um, is going to be about the royal family and the me, crown. And me we're def- just uh, defending Kristen Stewart, mm. which is always good. Look, she looks like Diana, and that's all I'll give her. All right, fun. We love all right. you all. Thanks for uh, tuning don't, in. Don't death penalty anyone this this week. I don't know, man. No coups. <laughs> no coups. No death penalty. Those are it. Uh, Goodbye. Bye.